Welcome to episode number 107 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is someone who featured on episode number 90, and this was one of our most uh, most listened to episodes that we've ever done. And my guest is Gary Hurring. He's a former Olympic swimmer and coach from New Zealand. And Gary and I got introduced to each other through mutual friends that we knew through swimming. And I really like Gary's approach to swimming and to coaching and the way he goes about it. And I learned a lot on the episode um, that we did together. And one of the most... Uh, I guess one of the things that people have brought up to me the most out of that episode is the pit of discomfort. The idea that you're going to have to go through some uncomfortable feelings in order to make changes to your stroke. It doesn't matter if you are a new swimmer or if you're an elite high performance swimmer. Everyone will go through that pit of discomfort. And I think that idea resonated with people a lot. So that's probably been one of the, the biggest things that I took away from that that podcast and I know a lot of other people have so if you haven't listened to it yet go back to episode number 90 and it's called how to change your technique from an Olympic coach's perspective. Gary and I are running a swim camp in Hawaii at the end of March and it's going to be for a small group of swimmers maximum of 12 swimmers and we've still got a couple of spots left for this camp. What we're doing at the camp it's five days the mornings are all about underwater filming analysis and a technical focus so that's basically where you're going to be learning some different things with your freestyle, with your swimming. The afternoon is all about applying what we learn in the morning and applying it to your swim stroke and being able to do that under pressure, whether you're swimming easy, moderate, or fast. And then it's going to be about making those changes that we're working on with your technique, making them automatic. And the reason why I've kept it to a really small group of 12 swimmers is because I want basically want to get really good results for the people who come along. I haven't run a camp like this before. We run the Hellwick Swim Camp each year in October and that booked up really quickly. It booked up within an hour and this and I've got a long waiting list for that. So um, I wanted to add another camp that was available and open to people somewhere else in the world. So, so swimmers from different countries could, could come along. And I wanted to cap it at 12 swimmers so that we can really just work closely with people for those five days. So if you would like to improve your swimming with the end result of swimming faster, swimming easier, and being able to do it for longer, and hopefully really enjoying your swimming by the end of it, and I'm sure you will, then go to effortlesswimming.com, click on the clinics and camps link, and there'll be more details about the Hawaii camp there. Um, And that's going to be March 20 to 26. So uh, if you're really wanting to make a difference in your swimming, I can't think of a better way or a better camp that's going to help you with that. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. So you're on, uh, I just looked back, it was June that I, that we had the last podcast together and uh, it was it was one of the most listened to podcasts that I've done before. And I think, um, well, I think for two reasons. One, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of people that have come to Hell Week and, and camps from New Zealand. So there's that big contingency in Wellington. Um, but also I think the, um, the topics that, that you spoke about really resonated with a lot of people. One of the things that we spoke about was the, the pit of discomfort uh, where basically the uncomfortable feelings that you need to go through to make changes in your stroke. Um, and that along with quite a few, of other, a few other things that I think resonated a lot with people who are in the thick of things trying to make improvements to their swimming and get better. And I mean, your, your background is obviously coaching and swimming at a very high level. Uh, and now you're working a lot more with 
um, with athletes who are sort of your more everyday swimmer, people who are doing it for sort of fun and fitness and still competition, um, but not at that very high end at the moment. So what are some of those differences that you've, you've seen between those sorts of athletes that you're working with at the moment compared to the very top end of, of swimmers? Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a good question. Slightly difficult. Um, I, you know, the, the faults that I see technically, um, are much more exaggerated. Um, you know, obviously the, the elite level swimmers have fine tuned a lot about their techniques and, and their biomechanics in the pool. Um, uh, over many, many, many years. And um, so the quite often um, things stand out a lot more to me uh, in my eyes as a coach on pool deck. And um, uh, quite often you can, you can see a, an elite level swimmer doing something um, very, very well. Uh, and you sort of gloss over and you, 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 the, the, the small faults sometimes don't really stand out unless you're really looking hard for them. Um, but, um, but quite often with your general everyday swimmer, you'll see things that are, that are often very much the same things, but uh, in, in a much more exaggerated format and, uh, or form. And, um, and I actually really like that because, uh, and I, I used to really like that when I was working with elite swimmers as well, because um, you could actually see the things a lot more with your average swimmer and then be able to take those same concepts in with your elite swimmers and uh, and work on them on a, on a much more fine-tuning uh, manner. Um, but yeah, the, I, I guess... To me, the, the, the general faults you see in, in swimmers are the same uh, over and over again. And, um, and there's, there's a range of them, and they vary, and they, they morph and change in, in di different formats, and they, they come out in different ways. But in general, uh, I'm not sure if you'd experience the same thing, but you, you do tend to find very, very similar faults um, and, uh, you know, most of my technical work is based around reduction of drag. And, and uh, as human beings, we all sort of create drag forces in the same way. And so it's, um, it's, it's either that or it's the enhancement of the leverage that you can gain through correct propulsion through your biomechanics. So those are the sort of two target areas, reducing drag and, and increasing... Um, um, leverage and propulsion. Um, and so uh, I do find that there's a lot of similarities really um, between that uh, and, and quite often the, the high performance swimmers are a little bit more hard work uh, <laughs> uh, mentally at times. So uh, it's quite often that it's your, your average general swimmer that you're getting a few times a week or three or four times a week are, are very, very keen and interested and focused on on what they're doing, the elite level swimmers can be the same too, but because you're seeing them 10 times a week, they can uh, tend to be, uh, you know, uh, have a fair bit of familiarity and take you for granted at times and things like that. So uh, it is there is a refreshing mental side to coaching uh, the average uh, everyday swimmer. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've, I've found the same thing actually. I mean, I used to, I used to coach a squad for, I think it was eight years, 
And the especially if you're re- kind of repeating the same points again and again, um, sometimes that effect can be lost and it, it can tend to fade into the background a little bit with, with swimmers, uh, especially if they're, let's say, they're, they're there to get fit primarily as opposed to focus on their, their technique. But when you see swimmers less often, and, and there's a few swimmers that I see every couple of months or so, that the impact I find is a lot greater. And so they're more willing to take that back, to take the information or take the drills, take it back to their own training and and practice it and focus on it a lot because that the impact of, of seeing you less is, yeah, is, is a lot more um, sort of profound for them. And in terms of, I mean, reduction of drag, that's, it's, I've got the same approach. It's number one, we just want to reduce your drag. And number two, it's it's increased propulsion after that. And it's it's a really simple way to think about swimming, but it's a good way to go about it because swimming can be so complicated sometimes if we when we overthink things. Um, but if we think mm-hmm. of it in terms of those two category, categories, I mean, the, the drills and the focus points and the, the things that we're looking at, they can really all be put into one of those two, two categories. And it's, uh, it, it is very, you know, some of those things that, that we want to change in athletes, they're really pronounced in the, uh, the newer swimmers or the swimmers that aren't quite as quick. And it's really fine tuning with the elite guys. And I've, I've recorded some, some very quick swimmers before some sort of national, um, national level swimmers. And it, I've really got to slow down the video a lot. And I've got to kind of look over it a few times uh, more often than not to really figure out where we can make it, make changes in their technique because some of them are very, very technically good and it's mm. you know, it's it's not even the, the 1%. It's even less than that, it feels like, that there's some things that they're, they're just doing so well that you've really got to get into the nitty-gritty and be very particular with it uh, to to improve their technique. And what do you what do you sort of see with uh, with progression in uh, in the season? So, I mean, with the with the elite guys, you progress throughout the season, you obviously build up in terms of volume. You probably change the focus, change the type of training. Do you do much of that with swimmers? Uh, you're more everyday swimmer. Um, no, I don't actually, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, the the periodization that we used to use was was uh, quite complex with with mm. uh, Olympic level swimmers, and um, we I would generally put out quite a uh, a convoluted season plan, which what I would adjust from season to season depending on success or not, um, and try new things. Um, what I work with with my mainly my adult squad swimmers now is um, it's because of the constraints of the time that they're coming in. We're, what we're doing at the moment is running three uh, one and a quarter hour sessions a week. They're all morning squads. Uh, so it's generally a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and because of the recovery factor, uh, after, you know, you, you've generally got a, a Tuesday to recover and you're ready to come back on a Wednesday, um, it'll be slightly different. Um, I do do certain things with periodization through the season uh, where we do potentially a little bit more technical work uh, and then building up towards 
their their main competition phases. We'll do a little bit more um, distance work, but because it's really only three one and a quarter hour sessions a week, I try and add some technique work, some a little bit of aerobic work, and some speed work to all of those sessions. Uh, and I just think that that's just good training. It keeps people sharp neuro neurologically if they're doing some speed work. Um, I like to try and do um, technical stuff with speed because I believe that if you're if you're training a technique uh, and trying to um, consolidate it into habit, um, one of the best ways of being able to do that is through shorter distances of speed um, and without with without putting yourself under too much duress. Um, and so that you've actually got enough time to rest and recover and repeat the, the patterns that you're trying to change in your technique. So we'll, we'll regularly do some speed work. We'll regularly do some aerobic training. Um, I always try and make my sessions interesting and varied by putting in some drills and some little bit of pull work or band only swimming um, and, uh, and try and get them kicking this, you know, the, the, that is one of the differences I do notice uh, between elite swimmers and the general adult swimmer is, is the kicking ability is not nearly as good. So we do try and uh, encourage a little bit of kick work and, and focusing on, on the drive that the kick can create to help the, uh, the power of the stroke generally. It doesn't necessarily have to be the the propulsion from the kick, but a, but a, a, you know a nice strong kick with good timing can help the the purchase that the feet get to help um, initiate the body roll and 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 the power generated through the hips and shoulders. So um, yeah, I, I guess in coming back to your original question, there's not a whole lot of periodization which I'm currently working with. But that's mainly uh, for, based around the system and the amount of time that I'm working with these athletes. Uh, you know, as opposed to working with someone uh, for the whole year when you're doing two hours a day of pool work and uh, two hours in the morning and two hours at night, um, there has to really be a whole lot of thought on how much recovery you've got, what your microcycles are like through the week, what your mesocycles are like through the season, um, and even your macrocycles look, looking long-term, building up to Olympics and, and areas like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of what I've seen a lot of is it really at the, at the top level that there's, there's, a bit of fo there's quite a bit of focus on, on the periodization, and it can get very particular with the amount of Ks and the type of work and, and the volume. Uh, but then, you know, kind of below that, it's really, uh, I don't see a, a massive benefit in it for swimmers who are doing a couple sessions a week, you know, especially most, most adults. It, I, I think if they get the, get the most important parts right, so well, number one is, you know, get enough sleep, eat well, train regularly, and have the right focus with your, your technique and, and doing some of the right stuff in training like you were talking about with some base aerobic work, some speed work. That's really going to get you most of the results that you that you need if you get if you get that stuff right. But if you get too technical, and you may, I'm very, I like to keep things as simple as possible. I'm not someone to get too 
too sort of deep with the really technical stuff in terms of mapping out a season and working on the micro and macro cycles. That's that's not what I. Uh, that's not kind of what suits me best. So I'm I'm similar in in that way where you know, working with most adults, let's get the majority of it right, um, and that's probably you know, a little bit too specific for for most people. And um, the the way I've sort of adjusted my thinking with that with with adults is for swimmers who are doing training for some longer events um i'm training for the rottnest swim which is a couple of weeks away now and that the only sort of periodization i've done with that has just been making sure i'm hitting my volume hitting my kilometers each week um and inside of that you know there's not too i don't get too specific with things it's it's really just been about getting the k's up um and still making sure there's sort of one long swim a week um one over distance swim at speed once every two or three weeks and yeah, breaking it down that way, but it's, it's very simple. And for me, that's worked well. And I don't want to put too much pressure on making sure I hit the right session every single day because I just, for me, I've found that difficult. So it's just, um, it's just really keeping it as simple as possible, keeping it enjoyable and uh, making sure I do the most important things right. And, and then I know the results will come. Sure. Yeah. That sounds really good. What about, um, what about sort of, stuff that you're using with uh in training with gear are you using fins snorkels paddles how are you using it with uh with the adult squad yeah we we haven't introduced snorkels with the group um because they're out there in an additional cost but i do like snorkels i think they're a great tool just uh just for the fact that it it, they teach um, swimmers to keep their heads still and and allow their bodies to do the rolling. And I, I find so many technical faults coming through the breathing pattern. Um, so it, in practicing just swimming and holding your head in one position, um, quite often you can uh, start to re- repeat, you know, re- get some repetition without the faults that are coming from the breathing. And... Uh, I, and I like that. It, it, it's a, it's a nice way of mixing up your training. Do a bit of snorkel work and a bit uh, without, and and practicing that way. Also, I, I like snorkels uh, just for the little bit of breath control that you sort of need to learn to use them properly. Um, uh, and it, it teaches deep breathing. Um, so we we might look at going more into that in the future. Um, where you do a little bit of pull work, but I prefer to do band only. So we, we go out and I go out and chop up some inner tire inner tubes um, every now and then and and just uh, make sure that the swimmers are all able to do laps with just a band on because I believe that that helps to really force high hip levels. It's sort of a, a little bit of an evolutionary thing if you don't swim with high hips you're just going to sink in it and it's just a horrible thing so uh having to having to do sets with just a band only i believe sort of as a forced way of teaching body position in the water um i like paddles paddles are good good variation um yeah so those that we we keep it fairly simple with that we do a reasonable amount with fins um, and again, the fin the fin work is is a little bit more variety, but I I do believe that fins do encourage people to kick uh, because they can feel the propulsion they're getting from their feet and from the kicking. So uh, by working with flippers, that hopefully some of that transfers over to normal swimming. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. And the I don't know if um, if you've seen, you probably have the DMC fins. I mean, I, I recommend them to everyone that I come across. Um, some yeah. of the, won't mention the brand, but one of the most popular brands, they make some very average fins. They're rock solid. They've got no flex in them and they're very uncomfortable. Um, but the DMC fins are the ones that I recommend to um, to all of my swimmers. And they're only about $55, $60 or so. Um, but yeah. they've got good propulsion. They're the shorter fins, so they don't muck up your tempo too much. Um, and they're really good for teaching teaching to use your legs a bit better. And, and with the, the bands, what... I mean, a lot of people will come to me and they um, struggle swimming with the with the band because they just cannot get their legs up. What are some of the things that you will will say to those swimmers or you get them to do to try and help bring their feet up and their hips up a bit if they have trouble doing that with the band on? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, I'll try and work a combination of things uh, with them and oftentimes... It's along the lines of, uh, of sort of pressing the chest down, holding the core strong, pressing the chest and really trying to get that balance uh, to shift from potentially around the chest area to down further into the lower abs of the stroke. Um, oftentimes it's uh, swimmers that don't have a very good tricep extension at the back end of their stroke will struggle as well. So I'll encourage a longer push through the back of the stroke because that will keep pressure in and lift coming from that area, which is where the hips are starting to to fit, to, to drop in the water. So um, so a longer stroke at the back um, generally. Uh, anyone that's struggling with it, I will uh, reduce any sort of repetition we're doing, um, allow them to maybe do one length for every other person's two, um, you know, really, really sort of drop it down um, because it, it, sometimes it's just a matter of um, of making sure you're fresh enough and it, it does get harder uh, as you get tired. So, um but we'll, we will also do um, some just some general body balance floating drills uh, in the water. So just just learning how to float sometimes, uh, and that that can be a very uh, successful way of of just helping people shift their balance in the water. Um, those are probably the main things. That otherwise, that I'll, I'll be looking at just little areas of that particular person's stroke. It may be their head position's too high. Uh, they may not be catching the water deeply or, or something uh, other than that. Yeah, there's a lot of different causes, isn't there? And I like what you mentioned about the tricep extension. This is something that I've seen sort of more and more is when swimmers, they get the underwater footage of their stroke from the side. And this is what I've seen a lot lately in the, the membership where I do this for, for people all over the world. And they end up, well, some people they end up pulling through quite deep, so they're pulling through with a straight arm. Then at the back of their stroke, instead of having the forearm and the hand pressing back past the hip, they're coming from so deep that they end up pressing up towards the hip, and that upwards pressure with the forearm and the hand ends up pushing their hips down. And sure, for the yeah. life of them, they can't figure out you know why their legs are sitting so low when they've got the right head position. Um, yeah, and most other things are, are looking generally pretty good, um, but I've seen that to be a big a big cause of that from swimmers that are basically they're just too deep and they're pushing up towards the surface instead of pressing back behind them. And um, it often leads to a, 
lack in extension or reach out in front and um and it just makes them swim quite short so there's yeah there's a lot of different things that yeah that cause it and that's um that's a big one that i don't think a lot of people consider too much if they're self-coaching or sort of analyzing their own stroke uh, because it's not one of those things that's i guess is um, maybe as easy to see or as easy to to notice if um if you're just swinging on your own um, yeah, the other the other little area in there that that I'll see is is uh, and I'm sure you see it as well is that somebody might be rotating their hand so that their little finger is exiting first at the finish of their freestyle. Mm. So uh, and, and you'll see a little finger coming upwards in the air rather than pushing the water back towards their feet. So it, again, it's a that's a variation of what you're talking about of, is the direction of push. That they're actually the, the the way that they're pushing towards their feet instead of sort of sliding their hands upwards and, and exiting early. Yeah, where they sort of slice out the back and they they just don't get much from it. Um, that's right. That, yeah. You've you've been away on camps with um, with the elite swimmers and and probably I'd say uh, being a swimmer yourself. So I mean we've got a camp coming up in, at the end of March in in Hawaii where it'd be you and I, and we're going to work with a small group of swimmers to basically do a lot of underwater filming and technique work in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we're going to put all of that stuff into practice. Um, we'll go through a, a bit of a session, but it's really just about locking in, making those things automatic. Um, and so we've got this, this five day camp coming up at the end of March. And what, I mean, the camps that you would have done with the elite guys and, and probably as yourself, they're a little bit different to the ones that we're going to be running in, in March. But can you talk a, a bit about what the purpose of those camps were for the for the elite guys and when, and when you'd go away as a swimmer? Yeah, a lot of it depended on the stage of the season of the camp. And we, and we would generally break that down into uh, it was either sort of a staging camp type of situation where you were really focusing on specificity uh, in in, in in, a, in what I say as a staging camp, I mean a camp that's in a lead up to a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics or a world champ. So you're really going from that camp into the competition. And they they were usually three or four weeks out from competition. So there would often be uh, a lot of specifically hard work um, coupled with some very uh, specific rest and recovery and technical work so that they could uh, they could recover and but really hit those hard sessions very very well um, oftentimes quite high volume depending upon what events the swimmers did um, and uh, and and then going into a taper so it was quite a you know then then re a real reduction of of the volume and and a whole lot of specificity on pacing and time and and really trying to get uh, as specific as possible the speed that you want for the event uh, but the other camps we would do would be often very sort of broad big based um, doing a lot of a lot of volume or a lot of uh, if they were sprinters a lot of hard training a lot of speed work um, lactate training and so on uh, just um, and and again depending on what stage of the season, if it was early in the season, it would often be quite aerobic and, and technically specific. So yeah, a lot of it was it was based around um, when when those camps were and whether they were just an overload camp or whether they were much more specific in their nature. 
Mm, yeah, we. I went away on a, a couple of those as a swimmer and absolutely just absolutely love those camps because you you do well for me at least it was training with other swimmers uh, that I hadn't swum with before because often it would be uh, a bunch of swimmers from different clubs and being in a different location changing the environment it, it kind of helps just get you out of your your normal routine your normal habit and the I guess the effort that I was able to put in on those those training camps was was a lot more and you can you kind of can commit to really just putting in every session because it's, you know, you're only there for a week or two weeks and you can commit to doing that. And that change in the environment, it's, it kind of makes it a little bit special to where you, you don't mind doing some really solid Ks, really solid volume, volume while you're there. So that's, uh, I really enjoyed those types of training camps. And then kind of off the back of that and off the back of uh, a camp that I used to do, each year with a bunch of friends, we'd go up to North Queensland and we'd go away for a week. We'd stay up there and basically just do a big training camp up up there. I really enjoyed it. That was some of the, the best fun I had as, um, as a swimmer, hanging out with some friends and just training hard. And off the back of that, I, I came up with, with Hell Week, which I've run for uh, for four years now. And yep. and I'm getting – a lot of the people that you know, they've, um, they've come back one, two, three times to, to that camp. And that's it's become really popular. We've got a, a big waiting list for for the 2018 camp, and so that's been going really well, and I've really enjoyed that. And so what I wanted to do was put together a similar style camp without as much uh, hard training, and just focus it primarily on improving your your swimming, becoming better technically, uh, more proficient in the water, becoming making it a lot easier, uh, and so that so that the swimmers can basically go for longer at a faster pace and just really enjoy their swimming. So that's what the Hawaii camp is about. And it's it, it's a five-day camp, 10 sessions across the, the five days. So it, it is a lot of swimming, but not a lot of that is going to be at too high of an intensity uh, that you can't back up the next day. Um, but I think, you know, and what I've seen with Hell Week is just that, that change in environment, small group of people. I mean, we're only taking a maximum of 12 swimmers, so it's a really small group. And that, and constantly refining your stroke over the course of five days with underwater filming and analysis. I'm really looking forward to to this camp and just seeing the results that come out of it. And um, and we're having that in Hawaii, and, and you've got a, some connections over in Hawaii, and that's kind of how we're able to to set this up, which was which was awesome. And I mean, what's your connection with the with the coaches and um, some of the the guys over in Hawaii? Yeah, well, um, well, I went to uh, the University of Hawaii and uh, I was fortunate enough to land a scholarship to go there, a swimming scholarship um, for four years. So it was a really great experience. Um, I got to know a team of guys that uh, we became very close and it was, it was a pretty neat experience because we would often be traveling all around the US and competing. Um, and we would we would generally do sort of between three and five big road trips where we would go all around America and and the states and and compete against different universities, um, and then come back to do our training in the islands. And uh, so several of my close uh, teammates have have now become quite prominent coaches themselves within. Hawaii, um, and I've got a couple of good friends that uh, that are based at the Oahu um, training facility that we're going to have the camp at, and they're um, 
they're coaching there now. Uh, Joe Lalikas and and Joe's brother Tom is, is also coaching at another swim club over there. Um, I've got one of our other teammates is coaching on Maui now. So there's a it's really interesting that there's a whole range of us that are going through there. Um, I had good connections uh, at the University of Hawaii until just recently, and, and I know that they've changed coaches there. So I don't know who the new coach is at UH anymore, but um, uh, I've, I've definitely got some good connections with other coaches on the on the islands. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I can't wait to to go over there. I haven't been there before, but just um, yeah, it looks like a such a, a beautiful place, and there's. There's open water. There's surf. There's good pools. Looks like good food and uh, and a nice climate, which uh, which I can't wait. So it's uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And, and for anyone listening and you want to get more details on the camp, just go to effortlesswimming.com and there's a clinics and camps link at the top, and you can find out more about the the Hawaii swim camp. And uh, it's not long now; it's only five or six weeks until we we go. Um, so it should be should be a lot of fun and. And one of the other reasons why I wanted to bring you along to the camp was, um, well, obviously the podcast. I got I got a lot out of that podcast and talking with you, and we've got a lot of mutual friends, and um, a lot of them said that oh, you should you should chat to Gary, to Gary. You and he seem to um, have a lot in common in the way that you coach and you teach, and um, and I realised that once we um, once we did the the first podcast, and um, yeah, and really enjoyed enjoyed chatting. So I'm looking forward to. Um, being able to coach together with a uh, with a group of people, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise, and and I'm really looking forward to coaching with you because I I agree from our conversations and from what others have said that we do have very similar styles. So I think we're going to have a a very good uh, symbiosis there happening. It'll it'll be great, and I'm really looking forward to learning from you as well. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you very much for for being on the podcast and. Uh, well, I guess when I'll see you, we'll be in uh, Hawaii in a few weeks' time. So thanks again, Gary. Enjoyed it. Okay, great. Thanks, Brenton. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.